With great podcasting power comes great podcasting responsibility. Welcome to Cape Crisis, the comic book podcast on the Laser Time Network, where we talk about the newest events in the world in comic books, sequential art, graphic novels, and all the things based upon them. I'm your host, Henry Gober. That's H-E-N-E-R-E-Y-G on Twitter. I'm going to turn that down a little bit. Hi. And uh, we got Brett Elston here. Hey. I'm sorry. I (laughs) did not mean to be so dramatic. I just want to soak all these in, right? The Walking Dave. Hi. (laughs) Spider-Man Drive the Car. This actually lasts 21 seconds, so I'm not going to play it all that long. But... Ah, uh, guys, so <laughs> let's get this out of the way here. You do see this episode is called episode 200 of uh, Cape Crisis, the comic book podcast where we have the superhero spotlight. We talk about the newest stuff we read in comic books, the big news, and your answers and questions for me, all that stuff. Why is this called number 200? Well, right, I got some bad news for you that um, the show is going to be going on hiatus unfortunately and could be a long hiatus could who knows but uh but the the fact is that we can't really i can't really do this on a weekly basis anymore i uh uh, some stuff has come up in my life and i'll have a post about that on the site soon too but by a radioactive spider i got bit by a radioactive spider and i have to leave laser time but (laughs) no no i my role at laser time is changing all that stuff and i'll have a post up about it on the site but uh just the quick version is that Unfortunately, Cape Crisis kind of has to suffer suffer from that, and I'm really sorry to all you you super dedicated listeners. I really I love all you, and uh, so when we got to two, I wanted to just call this one 200. This was supposed to be 193, mm-hmm. but when I went to the uh, file page for all of this, like all the episodes that have been uploaded to our file sharing service, I saw that there were 203 in there, ah. and different files in there, and I know I did a number of specials. I didn't take an official count, but I decided to do what all comic book publishers do. And when we're at a landmark moment, you renumber to an anniversary issue number. And so we're, this is 200. That also means, you know, sometimes comic books come back with a number one. Could that happen with Cape Crisis? I, I don't know. But they, sorry, this is hard to tell you guys. <laughs> sorry to drop all this on you at the start. Uh, but I wanted to rip the Band-Aid off fast. And also, I feel like if I said it at the very end, the first comments would just be, oh, this, this is the last episode, this is the last episode, blah, blah, blah. And so I wanted to get it out there really early. But uh, what do you guys think of this? No. I'm curious more about how, how the comic books, like, are there are there instances <laughs> where they did it and it was especially egregious? Like, this, we're, we're issue 500 when, we, like, last month they were episode No, I mean, they're usually in reasonable numbering, like this one, too, yeah. that I think they get a little more specific about it of saying like well there were 60 there were 60 issues of the daredevil in between when we stopped the last one at 540 mm-hmm. so this is daredevil 600 or yeah. 500 or whatever i mean marvel's been doing this practice for so long well how long <laughs> uh they've been doing it so long that like they they renumbered like they've gone through cycles of it where they renumbered spidey yeah. for 500 and they got to 600, and then went, and then got 700, and then went back down to one again. And I'm sure they'll do it again when they get to 800. And same with Captain America. Yeah. Like they they've done this every time, and it, you know it lets them have their cake and eat it too. Where yeah, they it's funny because the early 2000s there was a point mm-hmm. where Amazing Spider-Man had been renumbered, you know, five years earlier, 
and hit Amazing Spider-Man 50. Mm-hmm. And there had already been an Amazing Spider-Man 50 in, what, the 60s? <laughs> in, like, 65 Yeah, or the yeah. Kingpin issue, right? Yep. Yeah. Spider-Man uh, No More. Yeah, Spider-Man No More. Cape Crisis No More. How fitting. No, oh, Jesus. Uh, but then, it was so there was this new Amazing Spider-Man 50, and then... I don't think it was the next issue, mm-hmm. but it was like within the same year was issue 500. Yes. Because yeah. they they had done, you know, 450 of the old one and now they had done 50 of the new one, so you mm-hmm. know, I'm I'm, you know, being rough with the math, but basically within a few months of each other was Amazing Spider-Man 50, Amazing Spider-Man 500 and hmm. I mean, once you get number 1 looks really sexy, but once you get yeah. into double digits with those books, they don't look so sexy yeah. and new anymore. Yeah. And so I, I prefer they just, you know, I'm an old man. I want things to be numbered in three digits. Just yeah. like I, lo- I miss being able to say, oh, in Spider-Man 538, they did this. Or in Spider-Man 308, <laughs> they did this. Yeah. Like, that's just not, not how it is anymore. But, uh, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> I did. I want to let you guys know first, this will impact the other stuff I do at Laser Time 2. But uh, Cape Crisis is... Um, Really, I think that's going to be changed the most by going going on hiatus. And I have a new thing lined up that I can't... I don't know how I could balance it and do Cape Crisis at the same time. Nor with everybody else either. And I'm not sure if I could find a way to do it. Or do a one-off episode every now and then or something. Or just do a comic book focused episode of Laser Time. Which actually there's one of those coming up yeah, real soon. I yeah. think that might be the, the status quo. It's like, you, mm-hmm. you know... You, Show up every once in a while, and probably, mm-hmm. and almost definitely when it's has does, has to do with a comic book focused laser time. Yeah, yeah. And I know there were a couple people who caught on last week who, when I ended the episode by saying like, "Enjoy stuff while it lasts," and <laughs> uh, see you next week for an interesting episode. I, <laughs> you guys were on the money there, but that was what impacted my last superhero spotlight too. Was that that week I knew I'd only have two left, and so I thought, you know, forget doing current guys or people in the news or whatever. I wanted to do just my two favorites. And so first I started with a thing, my second most favorite comic book character ever. I, I love him so much. But he is second to... Zack Snyder Superman. <laughs> our final superhero spotlight, Zack Snyder Superman. This, well, I don't want to say final. This mm. important superhero spotlight is anniversary superhero spotlight. Select your hero. And they say that a hero... No, it's not that one. Uh, I love that just... Any size? Has he ever made a small one? Uh, yeah, he's made tiny webs. Like, he's made ones that just, like, stick someone's hand to a wall or something. But I guess, like, an inch-high web... Yeah. That would be hard to just ex- uh, yeah. shoot that out of the web shooter. But, Listen, uh, bud, he's got radioactive blood. <laughs> that makes you strong. Having radioactive blood is what makes you a strong person. <laughs> uh, yes, this superhero spotlight is the amazing, spectacular, sensational, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Specifically Peter Parker, though we'll talk maybe a tiny bit about other people who have been Spider-Man, but... This is the Spider-Man who first appeared, Amazing Fantasy 15, August 1962, 
Created by Stanley and D- Steve Ditko, uh, because it's one of the most famous superheroes ever. There's some argument over who created what, and you know, Stanley will always say, "Well, I came up with the idea, and I told somebody to make it, and they did it. I'm the creator." Mm-hmm. Steve Ditko's argument is, "Yes, an editor told me make a character called Spider-Man, who is a Spider-Man. I made up the character. I made up his secret identity. I made up his web shooters. I made up the costume that everybody loves, and I defined his powers." Yeah. So. Who's the creator there, you know? And then on top of that, Jack Kirby says that he partially said, oh, well, me and Joe Simon had come up with this character we didn't even use, and I told Stan Lee about it, and then they made him up, and he's so similar to Spider-Man. And you just go like, well, geez, who's the... Yeah, it's it's very. I mean, it was fifty years ago, and guys making something that they didn't know would be important. You yeah. know, because in in August nineteen sixty two, they were a year into the Marvel Age of Comics because they put out Fantastic Four, but they're still not really picking up yet. They they put out a couple more heroes because they knew the Fantastic Four proved there were still fans who wanted to see them make superhero comics, and so Stanley comes up with uh, and Steve Ditko they come up with a teenage superhero who you know is racked by guilt and it's it, really amazing fantasy 15 is like an episode of the twilight zone or any kind of like sci-fi short story of its era with you know the the twist and the turn and the highs and the lows and you know Spider-Man is just this dweeby kid the a professional wallflower as Flash Thompson calls him <laughs> and he is like a, they, they hate everybody me and then he gets bitten by a radioactive spider and he gets fame fortune power all these things he creates a second identity as Spider-Man television celebrity wow so was the the spider popular too is that mm-hmm. why he he became less of a wallflower <laughs> like that was a, like oh, a social no spider? no it was uh, well <laughs> Some say it was a totem who dropped in, uh, a spider totem who dropped in that radioactivity, uh, but I choose not to believe <laughs> that. But a spider, an average everyday spider, got zapped by a uh, radioactive test laser, which when you see it in the original comic, you're like, it's just an open air testing of like, yeah. let's see this radioactive laser beam. Everyone stand nearby. <laughs> <laughs> You all wear your your lead vest today, correct? <laughs> and so, yeah, Spider-Man, he also challenges uh, a pro wrestler, Crusher Hogan, and wins a bunch of money. And then he is he's like, I don't need to help anybody. You do you. I do me, buddy. I'm yeah. Spider-Man. And then, of course, that same guy he lets go kills Uncle Ben, his beloved Uncle Ben, his father figure. And when Spider-Man captures him, he sees that it was the same man he let go. And he vows to never again fail to act on his great power. And so that is what made him According to to Spider-Man 3, it was Ned from Ned and Stacy who killed uh, Uncle Ben. (sighs) (laughs) <laughs> that really drove me crazy. Like, it's one thing that in the Spider-Man films they have to... Well, so in Amazing Spider-Man, he actually never finds the guy who kills Uncle Ben. In the Spider-Man films, he finds it very fast, and then the guy has the very convenient, Oh, I'm scared of you. I fell. Yeah. <laughs> Spider-Man didn't kill me, but I am dead for story purposes. <laughs> yeah. And then in Spider-Man 3, they are like, well, who... Who cares about Sandman? He has no... What Spider-Man's emotional investment in him? Okay, we'll make it up that he's the guy who killed Uncle Ben. Ugh, but <laughs> but th- that all overcomplicates it. There's been a million things yeah. added to it b- from them. But that is such a pure origin story. And they thought that was it. Spider-Man was not written to be an ongoing thing. That was actually the final issue of Amazing Fantasy. But then it had sold so well that they give Spider-Man his own series. When they were 
it's tough for them to publish anything. They're like, we got to put out an Amazing Spider-Man series. They launch it with number one, March 1963. First time he meets the Fantastic Four, fights the Chameleon, meet J. Jonah Jameson. And they're just on from there. Like, it's, it becomes very quickly Marvel's top-selling, or one of its top-selling books. Like, Spider-Man is an instant success. And in those first three years... Yeah, with Steve Ditko, they introduce so many things that are like the bedrock of Spider-Man. Yeah. It's even the first like six issues. The six, yeah, in the first six issues, the Vulture, Sandman, Doctor Octopus, and then he also fights Doctor Doom. Yeah. Plus all of his supporting cast, yeah. like they set up all uh, that stuff. And the Lizard is number six. And yeah, Electro is, is in yeah. there. Like so many of these villains. All these things go through there, and you gotta, you know, I love Stan Lee, and I'm sure he was definitely part of it, but it is. There's just a certain thing this Steve Ditko style, too, yeah. that really defines Spidey, that he didn't draw these, like, big guys, big muscly guys. Spider-Man and his enemies were all, like, like weird and yeah. spindly, and they all had, like, oddball poses. It yeah. was... And only he could think of... Only the guy who created Doctor Strange could also think of, like, a man made of sand. He's yeah. just like, you can't punch me, you're punching dirt. I'm <laughs> Sandman. I'm gonna rob banks with my... Yeah. It's like... But you're an immutable man made of sand. <laughs> you could do anything. You could do anything. That includes Robin Banks. <laughs> and yeah, that to think that how short three years can feel to us. Within those within three years, within thirty-eight issues of Spider-Man, Stanley and Steve Ditko together created so much stuff that made Spider-Man so memorable. Mm-hmm. And also what's shocking is, you know, in his first issues, if you've read those, Spider-Man's in high school, Peter Parker is in high school, he's a nerd, though you could definitely tell Stan Lee, I don't think, like the nerdy stuff. And by, I believe it was issue nine, he loses his glasses. And he mm-hmm. he stops dressing as much like a dweeb. Right. Probably and, uses his old glasses. And by Amazing Spider-Man 28, he graduates from high school. Mm-hmm. Which I think they people have always said they regret doing that. because, Or they wish they hadn't done that. Because Spider-Man in high school, there's still so much work to do there. Yeah. That's why Ben has said he never wanted to take ultimate Peter Parker out of high school because there's a ton to do there. If you put him in college, then you you have less fun. But they were like, no, he's aging in real time. He started as a junior. We started the series when he was a sophomore. He has graduated by issue 28. And now he's in college. And uh, then that led to issue number... 39, John Romita Sr. comes on. That leads to a whole nother age of Spider-Man. Like, I love John Romita Sr. He draws. Yeah. He It is kind of like, I guess you'd say, how if, if Chris were here, I think he would make the comparison about how Mickey was a crude, fun character, and, and everybody loved Mickey for these things, but then eventually he became a corporate mascot, and so he had to become, you know, more like, no, this is the exact way to draw Mickey. And I think that's what happened when John Romita came on board Spider-Man. He's like, no, this is Spider-Man. Like, this is yeah. Spider-Man who's going to be on logos, T-shirts. This is the Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. But he drew it so well. I I do love Romita. He's not as, like, fun or weird as Ditko is, but I do love the Romita era. And that's also when they introduced more classic guys. Rhino, Kingpin, Green Goblin became a way bigger part of the series, too. And, yeah, Spider-Man kind of just went rolling along through the rest of the 60s, becoming a very popular character in just about everything. And also, John Romina, though she had been mentioned in previous issues, his, I'd say, biggest thing was he designed Mary Jane. Mm. He, The Mary Jane everybody fell in love with is John Romita's Mary Jane. Her first appearance of Face the Tiger, You've Hit the Jackpot, that's all him. Yeah. And he is very affectionate about her and the character Gwen Stacy. Like, he... 
they they took Ramita from romance books, and so that's why in those early Ramita issues, they're all about like a love triangle between Spidey, Mary Jane, and Gwen Stacy, with like Harry Osborn and Flash Thompson to the side as he's going off to Vietnam. So the big turning point came June and July 1973, Amazing Spider-Man 121 and 122. Gwen Stacy is killed off, and that was a major, like, many people see that as the true end of the Silver Age and into the Bronze Age of superhero comics, because... No, like you don't kill Lois Lane. You don't right. kill. You don't kill the lead love interest of a character like that. And to do it in such like a clear way, like she is dead. Like she is big time dead. This guy crossed a line and he killed Gwen Stacy. What are we gonna do? It went on to you know that also led to the death of Norman Osborn, the very next issue, and he stayed dead for about twenty three years. Gwen Stacy. Well, she both she's kind of Schrodinger St- Stacy because she is and isn't dead. That Gwen Stacy has never come back. Right. But lots of alternate universes <laughs> and clones of Gwen Stacy have yeah. come back. But when, let's just say Gwen Stacy is dead. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, that they haven't done her Winter Soldier yet. Where no, they, like, <laughs> they undo it and explain. Winter Soldier. <laughs> they thought about when they did, uh, and we'll get to it. But when they did one more day. They thought about bringing her back, uh, and I think cooler heads prevailed of like, no, we yeah. this, we will not cross that line. Uh, but yeah, so uh, that led into the 70s of more like uh, Spider-Man just had become a corporate mascot at that point, but he was still had some, some cool adventures, and he also, in Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 200, he actually got some closure with Ben's killer, he found him again, and he'd gotten out of jail, and the guy dies of a heart attack. Again, just a way of writing out like, see, Spider-Man didn't kill him, but we do want him dead. Yeah. Also in the 70s, it's when the second regular monthly Spider-Man book was getting published, which I actually thought was spectacular. And while there were magazine specials called Spectacular Spider-Man, the official first monthly Spider-Man, second Spider-Man comic book was Marvel Team-Up oh, wow. from 1972. Huh. And yeah, it went on for a decade or close to it. Uh, so then we get into the 80s. Spider-Man starts a relationship with Black Cat, who yeah. sort of, I guess she is, she definitely has similarities to Catwoman, but she's Felicia's kind of her own character. Yeah, you can definitely see where their head was at when they were making her, mm-hmm. but I, I like Black Cat a little more than I like Selena Kyle. Yeah, well, I like, from a design standpoint, I like her white fur and the oh. white hair with a black costume. Oh. Like, <laughs> and. Oh. And she also was an interesting new, you know, love interest for Spidey because she loved Spider-Man. She didn't care he was Peter Parker. She kind of didn't even want to know. Yeah. Uh, And then that took us into 1984 with Secret Wars. So Secret Wars was a mega crossover in Marvel that wanted to shake up the status quo of everybody. But they, like, cut to the end where characters go into a teleporter in one issue and then they come out of the teleporter completely different and then you read secret war to find out how that happened yeah and spidey i think had no definitely the most lasting change of any secret war character in there yeah amazing 252 amazing 252 1984 pops out of it and he is in an all-black costume with the white spider emblem on him Mm -hmm. and it's able to move around and it changes into other clothes direct reference the cover to amazing 15 amazing fantasy 15 but yeah it's i mean that's i think brett's favorite look of spidey oh yeah that's what led to my like i mean if you've seen pictures of my desks for the last nine years (laughs) like i had for a long time just about every black costume 
merchandise there was and almost every appearance of that costume in the comics, specifically the symbiote, not when he eventually mm-hmm. rejects the symbiote, which leads to the creation of Venom. But then he get, he wears a cloth black suit eventually for like the next four years, basically, mm-hmm. or several years. I don't remember the exact time. But anyway, basically you can blame the third movie for uh, <laughs> they had to put him back in the black costume in the comics because, well, he's the black costumes in the movie. So therefore mm-hmm. he must be in the – and that ruined it all forever because then it was like, <laughs> I don't want black costume shoelaces. Like, I don't <laughs> I don't need this. And then now is there's, there's toys forever. But for a while, like, I just always thought that look was really cool and – I just love the distinction of like you know how it leads to what became like the most eighties villain, like uh, oh absolutely a, a, a very aware villain that's more personal and not just I'm a crazy madman like in the fifties. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. a very the Christian Venom is you know it's hard Respond. to get yeah it's hard to get excited about Venom now just because it's like yeah 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 because the nineties overdid it but like for yeah. that brief period in the eighties and early nineties it was like Venom was the shit that costume was really cool and. That costume was like they were so scared to do it. That, oh yeah, they they thought this will last six issues, yeah. and then we're taking them out of it because yeah. people will miss it too much. Well, then they just assumed people would be irate and mm-hmm. furious, and then people were writing letters and like, how dare you, my childhood's ruined. <laughs> and instead, what happened was people kind of like there was that immediate anger reaction of how dare you change anything ever? Don't mm-hmm. create anything. I want to <laughs> anyway, uh, but. <laughs> Then it turned out that everything sold out. Like all those issues blew up. That that two fifty two sold out. Secret Wars was really popular, and then you didn't find out for eight months because Secret Wars seven and eight is where you really like find out what how the how he got that black costume. So mm-hmm. there's like a big chunk of a year where you're reading him in a black costume in Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, you you know he's in it, and you know that there's something with it. But it's like, how did he get it? Where did it come from? You don't find that out for a while. Yeah, and it's such an amazing. I I do love that costume, though. I'm such a traditionalist. I do. I, Red and blue is my favorite of the two. But it was yeah. from 252 on in all of Spider-Man's Does appearances. He lose it initially, he, and then he gets loses it. it in 258, and yeah. then he and then it kind of breaks out of the Fantastic Four and yeah. tries to reattach itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then he also decides, I just like this costume, and yeah. he makes a cloth, makes a cloth version yeah. of it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, because it was a response to readers. Readers loved that yeah. costume. And he wears it till uh, three hundred. He wears it to three hundred, and and it's kind of on and off. But it was it was the dominant costume. Like yeah. you'll still find like, oh, it's Amazing Spider Man two eighty nine, and yeah. he's in the right costume. I'm yeah, and I had to go through the most of the two thousands was me going through issue by issue <laughs> in old comic shops that I used to go to as a kid. I would open up each one, flip through it. Oh, there it is. Got to buy this issue, <laughs> and they're all a quarter, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. But then there was just so many where it's like he's in the red and blue costume on the cover mm-hmm. and I'd be like oh probably don't even mess with it and then I'm like I'm gonna open it up just to make sure and then it's like you assholes yeah <laughs> like he starts the story in the red suit and then yeah but uh, yeah that was also the beginning of like a darker period for Spider-Man as well all new all daring uh, not not just with you know Venom eventually like Venom's almost the culmination of yeah. the darkness of that 80s era but it was also like Craven's Last Hunt is yeah. a very that is maybe the darkest a Spider-Man story got in the 80s where they take one of his like dumbest goofiest guys of the 60s yeah. a guy who was lucky to be a member of the Sinister Six <laughs> and they turn him into like a man with severe manic depression who is on his last days and is hunts down Spider-Man and then once he succeeds he kills himself because he's like well I've climbed every mountain yeah <laughs> and, and then also there was the Hobgoblin where yeah. they yeah, I love the introduction of the Hobgoblin created by Roger Stern and uh, John Romita Jr., where they decided we haven't had a goblin in a long time. Harry Osborn is not a great fill-in for the goblin. 
So let's make up a guy who has all the Hobgoblin tech and superpowers, but is not crazy and yeah. wants to just take over for the Kingpin. And it led to a lot of like, there's a lot of organized crime stuff. Spidey always, I guess, fought organized crime. Sure, but yeah. It got a lot more real in the 80s. Uh, I mean, he was still fighting a guy in a goblin glider, but yeah. you know what I mean? And also the late 80s were defined by him marrying Mary Jane Watson. Mm-hmm. This was because Stan Lee, in a comic strip, in the Spider-Man comic strip, wanted to goose excitement for it by having him marry Mary Jane in the book, who was her his only true love interest in the comic strip in newspapers. And then the feeling was in with the editorial team in Marvel Comics, well, he can't, Spider-Man can't get married first in a comic strip. We yeah. can't do that. And so they just have to rush him. Like, he wasn't even dating Mary Jane in the comics at the time rushes them back together they have a huge publicity stunt like they get married at chase stadium before a new york mets game and by stanley it's like a a man in a spider-man suit though with a um tuxedo over that and a woman is mary jane with giant big 80s hair what year is this uh 1987 okay it's a good time for the Mets. it was daryl yeah daryl's on there yeah it was and there's a great picture of uh the 87 mets including daryl strawberry Uh, posed with a bunch of people in like the best 80s they uh, <laughs> level they could find of make costumes yeah. to look like our superheroes. Yeah. Like, I bet Daryl cried at the wedding. <laughs> Daryl. <laughs> and uh, looking back on it, Jim Shooter, who was the editor-in-chief at the ch- time and a co-writer of the Amazing Spider-Man Annual number 21 when they got married, he regretted it. He said, we just did it to match the publicity stunt in the comic strip. It wasn't time for Spider-Man to be married, and it would be something they'd have to like fix later on. Yeah. Uh, so the symbiote came back as Venom, and that was also a huge turning point in Amazing Spider-Man 300. Spider-Man burns his black costume, says he'll never wear it again because it terrifies Mary Jane because Venom is this mo- huge man who yeah. has all of Spider-Man's powers he, and a personal vendetta against him, against him and knows his secret identity. He's like the creepiest villain. I know they made his like teeth scarier and all that later, but... Yeah. Honestly, just that first visual of just a regular grin on the Spider-Man costume. Yeah. Like, that's creepy yeah. enough as it is. And yeah, it was uh, c- created by David Michelin and Todd McFarlane, mm-hmm. who his time when he got on the book, like, they hadn't had a superstar artist on Spider-Man in, like, a couple decades at this point. Like, after a meeting, not to say they had bad artists, they certainly didn't. You know, Gil Kane, uh, John Byrne. Ross Andrew, I love all those artists, but they weren't superstar artists. And that kind of came in the late 80s with guys like Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld, and Todd McFarlane. Mm-hmm. And I'd say Todd McFarlane was at the head of that pack. Now, though, it's almost like tied with Liefeld and Jim Lee. But so Todd McFarlane, he creates Venom. He creates a style of Spider Man that is just like so bombastic and, and it's just so eye catching, especially to a kid my age when he was doing it. Yeah. Like, you know, you were used to seeing, like, this is one strand of webbing out of Spider-Man's hand. But he, like, drew drew the webbing like it was, like, spaghetti surrounding yeah. him. It was webbing everywhere. It was it was amazing. One of my favorite things, follow the fan page of Todd McFarlane on Facebook. Because even though he owns his own company and, and shouldn't be advertising <laughs> other stuff, for the last, like, months he's just been like, I'm going to show you how to draw Spider-Man. And he's, like, throwing out, if you're an artist, all these perfect tips of, like, Oh, this is obvious shit about how to draw Spider-Man, but you don't know it. Like you just you see it, but you never thought. Yeah, you draw the lines of his webbing around his head with the head. Don't draw it past his head. The line goes mm-hmm. down with to his neck. Mm-hmm. It was 
It was just all this great stuff. It was so, so informative. But yeah, Todd McFarlane led that time in Spider-Man. He was back in the red costume. Venom was huge, a huge, huge deal. And he would begat a ton of symbiote impersonators as well. And then Spawn even has a little of Venom in him, I'd say. Yeah, definitely the design. Yeah. Uh, but And then he was followed by Eric Larson on the book, too, who was a similarly bombastic guy, but he was never like... He got to come along in image, but he was always like a B-level guy to those top three dudes. It was he was never on the level of McFarlane, I'd say. Yeah. Not, but he's a great artist, and I, though he draws like there's there's one thing about draw like hourglass shapes of women. That's one thing, but his Mary Jane was just like she's mm. as an impossible body, and then also monstrous hair. Yeah, it was like, very super eighties up here. Yeah, though I read this funny quick side note. I read this funny tweet from. Um, one of the very few women who was an artist in, co- in Marvel in the 80s, Colleen Duran, mm-hmm. she tweeted this funny image that said, uh, first it was an image of her drawing Mary Jane oh, yeah, in the 80s. I saw this. And she said, people told me I drew unrealistic giant hair for Mary Jane. And then next to it <laughs> yeah. was a picture of her at the time. She's like, this was my haircut at the time. <laughs> and she had giant red hair. Yeah, she's like, just <laughs> like it, yeah. It was great. I was like, oh, wow. This is <laughs> that was just awesome. That's yeah. the kind of stuff like... You know, value that you have Twitter today and you can follow your favorite creators because they didn't know shit. Like, they were just a name on a page when I was a kid. When I was a kid. Yeah. All right. So then we get into Spider-Man in 1996 or 5. No, it's 95. The Clone Saga begins in earnest. The Clone Saga is really when they decided they wanted to, like, X-Menify Spider-Man, that X-Men had constant crossovers, constant mega events, and also very complicated and convoluted subplots. Like, Spider-Man should have all that stuff, and we'll sell even more copies. And But it also was their first real attempt to fix what they felt editorially was a problem for Spider-Man being married. They were tired of him being married to Mary Jane, but they didn't want to kill her off, and they didn't want him divorced. What do you do? And somebody realized Amazing Spider-Man 150, they introduced a clone that's not really resolved. And so then they can say, this clone who came back was the original Spider-Man, and a clone has replaced Spider-Man for the last 200 issues plus of comics. When they both fall off this thing into a smokestack, Mm. one of them comes out, and it's like, all along you assume the one that came out was Peter Parker. Yeah. In fact... It was the clone, mm-hmm. and you have now enjoyed the clone fighting Venom and Doc Ock and Doctor Doom, and yeah, all those cool adventures. That was a clone. Yeah. It was a little jelly man. and they—I don't think they realized that would be the reaction. And fans were just like, "So you're telling me all the stuff I read was illegitimate?" Which isn't like totally true. Like those happened. You yeah. enjoyed them, but it was a clone, and the other one had been living as Ben Riley the entire time. Yeah, but Belie- it believing he was fake. Yeah, believing he was fake, and then he finds out he wasn't fake. But then it also gets complicated because they introduce these like new characters like uh, Judas Traveler uh, and Kane, uh, who are just like such. They're just like Judas Traveler was. We want our own Magneto or Apocalypse for Spider Man. Spider Man doesn't fucking need yeah. a super super powered crazy guy. Yeah, like it that. gets way less. Like Spider Man's fun was always like how interpersonal everything was, and mm. this became like, yeah, just X Meny. Like oh, but. It just unbelievable, yeah. Like it, it depth got, and complexity. It got so 
insanely complicated. Also, they introduced basically like, what if Spider-Man was Wolverine in the character of Kane? Yeah. Who was, uh, they started him as a villain, but then I think they were trying, like they were definitely tr- shooting for a Venom-style anti-hero approach. And he eventually would become that. And he kind of, yeah, he kind of, but he's never popular. Like yeah. he's, he's appeared some and then died and come back and, only once they like repackaged him as the Scarlet Spider wow. in the 2000s did people like uh, him. But though that was like, there were moments of good stuff in the Clone Saga, like the Scarlet Spider costume. Yeah, I love it. I like. I really love that design, and I they introduced some fun stories. There was great art, but it was just it was it wouldn't end, and that's I yeah. can just tell you like read this. I think that blog is still out there somewhere. Ooh. Life of Riley. Yep, it's written by an a guy who was, I believe, an assistant editor at the time and witnessed all of it. And he it's, just, it, he goes like a month by month almost. It is a must read if you are interested at all in what the hell is the Clone Saga. Like that mm. store, that, that website, which is hard to find sometimes. Like I'll yeah. Google it and I'm like, why is this not like the first result? Yeah, it's strange. I But it was such a great yeah. way of finding out like, oh, this is how it got so complicated. Cause they it's, tried, lo- it's a long website. Yeah. Like it's a long story, but it is worth it. But And it got complicated because they kept wanting to end it and then their bosses were like, no, he can't end it. He keeps selling so well. Do another story. Like, but this needs to end. Like, and I think even it could have worked if it had ended halfway through. Yeah, if they had just gone halfway through, and this this guy is the old Peter Parker's leaving. Ben Riley's the main character now. Enjoy it. But they just had to milk. Like they milked it for every it dollar they could. What? How many issues did it run? I believe. Well, it started. I believe in Amazing. I'm just going by the Amazing number. Mm-hmm. In Amazing, it started in uh, the 380, mm, 390s, and then it ended by about four, before 450, so about a, a several years. And this was across, this was when they had four monthly yeah. Spider-Man books and one, um, and one quarterly book and untold number of limited series mm. as well, like all... Just too much. Yeah. It was too much Spider-Man. It was so complicated, it made the 30th anniversary and reintroduction of Spider-Man's parents, who were actually robots, it made that seem easy to follow, by <laughs> yeah. comparison. And uh, this, uh, you know, in a large sense, is attributed to the downfall of... Ex- an exaggeration, but Marvel in general, and mm-hmm. to an extension, comic books in general in, yeah. the, in the late 90s. I mean, it's the, a lot of bad things were happening that caused the downfall yeah. of Marvel, but this is one of the cornerstones of yeah. it, that they thought... They were building this up to be the next big event because event books like the death of Superman, yep. Breaking Back Man's Back, or or also the 30th anniversary comics of Spider Man in '92. Yeah, those all sold so well. well and all these X Men events, and that all were, the X Men, Age events, of Apocalypse, and uh, like, Extinction Agenda, all these yeah. things like they were selling so well. They're like, this will never stop, and so let's keep getting it big. And I know there were t- I've read anecdotal evidence of comic retailers at the time buying a ton of copies of the issue where they reveal Peter Parker is the clone thinking it was going to be a huge seller and everyone hated it like <laughs> nobody bought it. they had tons of unsold copies it was also when they imply that Peter this is something they never even talk about anymore where Peter was like brainwashed and even like um, reflexively swung his hand at Mary Jane and like kind of kind of hit his pregnant wife and yeah. It's fucked up. Oh, yeah. Also, Mary Jane was pregnant there, too, because they were just like, yeah, he can have a baby because he's leaving. And so he won't be Spider-Man anymore. They got all this trouble. Yeah. Ben Riley is Spider-Man. Peter Parker has moved away. They even wrote off him having powers. And Mary Jane is pregnant. Everything's fine. They can start anew. Like, And, and I was ready as a Spider-Man reader who was sick of the Clone Saga. I was just like, 
you know what, I'm ready. Like, just give me this new status quo. And that status quo basically got to exist for five months. <laughs> Peter Parker then came back. He got his powers back. Mary Jane gave birth to a stillborn child. So, and they just kind of never talk about that. <laughs> and then Norman Osborn came back because he was the only guy they could say, all right, it was his plan all along. He did the clone saga, be mad at him. And that's it. We're done. Like, and then they kill off Ben Riley. He's dead, and he disintegrates the way a clone of Spider-Man does, yeah. proving that he was the clone. Like that's all the proof you need. Like he was, he was a clone because he died like a clone. Mm-hmm. And then Peter's like, "Well, I guess I'm not the clone. I'm sad about my friend." And fine. <laughs> and then they just move on, and that kind of enters like a period of spider malaise for about five years, where he's kind of just kind of doing nothing. Or they're fine little stories, but in 2001, or I think maybe late 2000, late 2000, J. Michael Straczynski comes on, which kind of does elevate Spidey, uh, the Amazing Spider-Man series, in most people's minds, though I don't look back on it with as much uh, love as I used to. That's also where he did, him and his artist on it, John Romita Jr., did the 9-11 issue, which uh, meant very much at the time, and now seems a bit maudlin, but uh, especially um, Doctor Doom crying. (laughs) Also, 2001 saw the introduction of Ultimate Spider-Man, and that shows you how uninterested people were in regular Spider-Man. Marvel felt like they had to reboot Spider-Man with the Ultimate series with Brian Michael Bendis and Mark Bagley, where they just put him back in high school, make him a 15-year-old kid who gets powers, and really embrace the childlike style of Spider-Man. But then during JMS's time, Spider-Man also joins the Avengers for the first time ever. He never had done that before, but... The turn was with the new Avengers, they said, the Avengers aren't just going to be Cap, Thor, Iron Man, and some secondary dudes. Because those characters weren't very popular for a long time. So instead, yeah, in 2003, those guys weren't very popular. And so they thought, you know, the Justice League is built on having every favorite DC character in one team book. We are going to put Spider-Man and Wolverine in the Avengers because they're the premier heroes, even though they've never been Avengers before. Uh, and then, during JMS's running, also he wrote some really bad shit, including the other like ugh, Jesus the other. God. Uh, and he introduced the spider totem stuff, which never paid off. And Basically, mystifying Spider-Man that he yeah. was chosen to be bitten by a spider, mm-hmm. and that there's an order to if he's a spider, then there's deities that hunt the spider, and mm-hmm. now this villain that he can't stop is after him, and it's like <laughs> it removes the whole like you know a kid. Who learns, a, who learns a personal lesson mm-hmm. about responsibility, and now it becomes this thing. Like, it was destiny, Peter. Like, fuck you. Finally, stop. Spider-Man is magic. Finally. Yes, yes. Yeah. And uh, then in 2006, Spider-Man reveals a secret identity to the world in Civil War. And uh, they really wrote themselves into a corner, as as Brett has said many times, too. Like, they, he was married, living in Avengers Mansion. Everybody knew his secret identity. And Aunt May is almost... is almost killed because of his public identity so relatable yes Hmm. and so at the end of j michael straczynski's run they do the one more day storyline where mephisto not the devil mephisto Mm -hmm. he's 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 never said he was the devil as we've said (laughs) on those marvel cards uh but yeah he shows up and he says i can fix anime for you i want your marriage and and he says he doesn't want his soul because, like, oh, I don't want your soul to be you people who you know give up your soul for a loved one suffering justly in hell. It's no fun. <laughs> but I want to take away your love. Like you should never be together. And so, it's a very ridiculous story. Like such a terrible cosmic reset button that, like, that Spider Man Two. 
I mean, it's an impossible choice, but that he would say like, let my 80 year old aunts come back. I, my life with the, my yeah. life with the love of my life is not worth it for Aunt May. Yeah. And, uh, but then as part of that too, they reset his secret identities. Nobody knows it except for Mary Jane, at least at that time. And, uh, and that they were never married. And at first it seemed like such an extreme cosmic reset of just like to make the last 20 years of stories never have happened. And that's not what it ends up being that they just say like, no, they didn't get married, but then they said, but we'll live together. And so just look back on all those books and think they are just a committed couple who are not getting married. Like on that show, Whitney, the <laughs> Whitney Cummings show. Uh, and, and so just treat it as that, but it didn't feel like that at the, at the start when they did one more yeah. day, it just felt like they threw all those old stories in the trash. 20 years of stuff like my life as a Spider-Man fan had a married Spider-Man. Yeah. So it felt weird to have them say, Spider-Man can't work when he's married. And I'm just saying like, I read all these books when he was married. Like I, he worked for me. That was a terrible story one more day, but it led to brand new day. This amazing reboot of Spider-Man that refocused the entire series. There were no more side books of Spider-Man complicating things. It was just amazing Spider-Man three times a month with like rotating cast of writers and artists on it and it really just led to like um like it began in mid 500s ran to 600 mm-hmm. no past 600 even it's like a hundred great issues yeah. good to great spider-man issues by a, an amazing team of writers it was it was really good and, and it really was a new day in the sense of they took a long time to even get to the normal cast of villains oh yeah like they spent a lot they of held time them back for like a year plus. yeah like introducing like a bunch of new characters that most of them didn't really stick around uh-huh. or have staying power i guess anti-venom mr negative you could maybe maybe put yeah. them in that ballpark but it at least like was fun were fun stories and by the time lizard and vulture and doc ock show up you're like oh shit it's actually been a while yeah it made them and it gave you time to get a breather from them and then they get to be reset in interesting yeah. new ways it's it's really good when people have asked me where to start with spider-man because it is complicated if you don't want to read a specific old storyline yeah. uh, by itself then i would just say start with brand new day volume one and just read on until you get to big time and there that is a great run of yeah. comic a I really great i even like big time yeah and that leads straight into big time who uh dan slot was the my favorite writer of the brand new day era and then with big time 648 he takes over as the only writer of amazing spider-man and that's when he gives Spider he gives Peter Parker his fancy tech job at Horizon Labs, basically working for a Steve Jobs type, making mm-hmm. making new technology. And that's then went straight into Doc Ock taking over his brain and effectively killing Peter Parker and him stealing the life of Peter Parker, but having his sense of responsibility. That's the superior Spider-Man story. A really good chapter in, in Spider-Man's life. And by the way, like a Hydra agent cap, it wasn't forever. And we should have all <laughs> known that and just yeah. enjoyed the story. Yeah, it was good. Uh, it was a really good story. And and then it made it feel even more special when Peter finally took back his body. And uh, that's also when he invented P- Parker Industries, which is where we're at now, where some people aren't so into him being like an Iron Man type, which is what he is because he is so far removed from the nerdy kid we once knew. Though, I mean, you know, hey, he's just one new writer from a fall from yeah. grace and him being like, well, I guess I'm poor again. Yeah. Like, uh, and also, though, he saved the multiverse in the crazy Spider-Verse story, which is if you love Spider-Man history, that is like all Spider-Man history in one like giant like cheese block of comic <laughs> books. It's, Spider-Verse is so, so great. 
And so, yeah, that's where we're at now. He is a rich guy. He's now the Steve Jobs type, world-famous head of Parker Industries. Now, outside of comics, what Spider-Man has appeared in tons of stuff. I'd say maybe only Superman has been in more things than Spider-Man. or mm. ba- No, Batman absolutely has. But of Marvel characters, I think it's hard to think of a character of theirs who's appeared in more things consistently uh, than Spider-Man. Because yeah. he had his that terrible 1967 cartoon that we had the mate great song for, but... I mean, they just had no money. Like, it was just a show made with no money. And, hey, it led to a bunch of great gifts. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And then there was also the tunes in 1981 to 83, which included Spider-Man and his amazing friends, which, again, goofy, but they were at least grounded enough in the Marvel comics that they didn't get, like, a kid sidekick. They did get Miss Lion, the uh, doggy owned by Aunt May. Also in the mid-'70s, he had a brief stint with live-action television. There was a terrible... American live action show which was airing you know and Hulk and Wonder Woman were super popular but in Japan in 1978 Spider-Man also had a show here's the taste of the theme song is this Outrun? Yeah. Uh, Daytona <laughs> so great no it, it, i i love that song and it was really impressive at the time because it was toho's first sentai show mm. and if you don't know sentai that's the that's the power rangers or or other version that you know mass writer came in writer whatever you want to call it there had obviously been manga like that in japan this was the first show that we're like here's a guy who transforms here's a japanese man who transforms into a costume character with gadgets and stuff and then when a fight gets too big for him he then calls in his giant robot <laughs> which is what spider-man does he calls in his lepordon a giant robot and pilots that to fight the big monster and it took the same it was all the same story beats you'll see in power rangers and all those similar shows to it and spider-man did it first and that i i think that's partially why spider-man is such a beloved character in japan as well as in america and in other international places too like i had heard it explained that spider-man's you know full face mask and it kind of shows you like he could be anybody and it's it's very similar to the full face mask that most of like kitty superheroes the made in japan usually wear as well so the animated stuff in 1994 he got the animated series which I remembered it well, but when I rewatched an episode for our cartoon commentaries on the Patreon, it was an absolute mess. Like, that show is really... They they had the ambition to be the Batman, the animated series, but none of the budget or really, like, talent, I'd say. It's, a, it's unfortunate. And he had several other series, I would say. 2008 Spectacular Spider-Man is his best animated series. Ultimate's fine, but the, the only knock I'd give Spectacular is while his a great focus on peter parker and really gets all his supporting cast it's one of those spider-man only ones like there's no marvel characters in it otherwise well meanwhile ultimate spider-man is very clearly like this is in the marvel universe and marvel characters abound in that Hmm. when it comes to video games he's appeared in them as early as the atari 2600 spider-man game we all played him on like tons of like pretty much every console in the 80s and 90s he was on it sega especially had an exclusive deal with marvel to make spider-man games for for their consoles 
starting with Spider-Man, a.k.a. Spider-Man versus the Kingpin, up to Spider-Man Web of Fire for the 32X. A terrible game you can watch me play all of on yeah. a live stream. Which, again, though, that even that deal makes no sense because in that time it's like, Here's Maximum Carnage. Here's yeah. Separation Anxiety. Here's man some other Spider-Man games that are, like are all happening. Well, there was like, one based on the animated series too. The animated yeah. series. It was like it's kind of a deal, and then it wasn't. Then it was, yeah. and there was Spider-Man for Game Boy the whole time, like multiple yeah. Game Boy games. I think Sega made a deal that Sega themselves had the right to make Spider-Man uh, games for themselves on top of whatever other Spider-Man licenses mm, were out there. Mm. Uh, and that lasted to '96. Then Spider-Man kind of. Disappeared from games for a couple years until Neversoft, uh, the creators of the Tony Hawk series, brought him back to prominence with what at the time felt like the Spider-Man game I'd always wanted. Spider-Man games weren't all that fun. Like There were very few fun Spider-Man yeah. games. Even the, the Sega ones got closest, but even they weren't that fun. And then here comes Neversoft with a 3D Spider-Man game that loves the comics, makes tons of references to the comics, has guest star appearances by all these Marvel characters that would probably cost like a billion dollars to license for yeah. one game now, but back in back in the late 90s, very affordable. And and it ended with him fighting like Doc Ock Carnage and all this. And, yeah. and that made him an Activision superstar. In the late 90s, when Activision became a, the mega player they are today, it was on the backs of Tony Hawk and Spider-Man. Those were the two first big stars they had. That's why Activision had the rights to the ones based on the movie and a bunch of other Spider-Man games. And that era of Activision Spider-Man turned sour pretty quick in my opinion well not that quick but i mean it peaked with spider-man 2 it's peaked with spider-man 2 and they made it a gta when they just took the inspiration yeah. of gta and made an open world spider-man game yeah and then but once they made that open world spider-man game they kind of weren't trying as hard i'd say the last great one ultimate spider-man is really great i like it's it. really great and, and web of shadows after that. and web of shadows after that they really they tried Beanox tried with shattered dimension and shattered dimensions and it was a great tribute to spider-man but not my favorite game. Then every Spider-Man game after that was not yeah. very good. And But now, Sony has backed the Spider-Man license, and Insomniac Games is making a Spider-Man game. Oh, and Spider-Man has appeared in most Marvel games as well. Like, he's not just his solo games. I mean, everybody remembers doing a Maximum Spider in yeah. uh, the Marvel, all those Capcom games. Yeah. Also, we got to talk about his many movies. Spider-Man, they were trying to make a movie of him for decades, he was owned by, for a long time, it was owned by Canon Films, the horrible <laughs> filmmakers. They want to make a Spider-Man film, but they could never come together. Then in the 90s, it got bought by the Carlico people who did the Terminator films with James Cameron. James Cameron dreamed of doing a Spider-Man film with Venom and using you know the tech of the T-1000 to make Venom at the time. Uh. Which would I I would have loved I mean, to have seen if that happened. Worst things could have happened. And that's also why in the Don't 90s. Race. Yeah, <laughs> that's also why in the '94 animated series, they don't have an origin because when production began, they're like, "Well, the film will be out, and so yeah. everybody will know his origin. Why tell it?" Yeah, uh, and the yeah. film was never ready, and it came to the point where by the end of the '90s, Marvel was having to sue all the companies that there are like three different companies saying, "No, I have the Spider-Man rights." And it took a massive court case. And when the court case, the day the court case ended, I remember Marvel putting out a press release saying, and now Sony gets to make it. We signed a deal. Sony's making Spider-Man now. Mm. And we, it was a big deal for them. And Marvel needed that money so bad. Yeah. Like Marvel had gone bankrupt. 
Cut to 2002. Spider-Man comes out. Sam Raimi's directed Spider-Man, starring Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, James Franco, before we knew him as a stoner, and Willem Dafoe, all the greats. And it is a huge hit, a huge, huge hit. One of the biggest, I think it's still adjusted for inflation, still one of the highest grossing like blockbusters ever. And uh, like even two and three couldn't match it. Like it made more than those. And uh, it was a really, it was a really good film for its time. I think, you know, now it feels dated to a degree, not just, you know, special effects wise. But yeah, it just has like a, a, a plottingness to it, a little mm-hmm. slow and, and some a of the, little bit of corniness. The things that felt, no pun intended, spectacular at the time <laughs> aren't as impressive now. But definitely mm-hmm. in 02, it was like the X-Men movie being as reasonably good as it was in 2000 yeah. and then followed up. This was yeah. really the next one. Mm. And you're like, there's no way they'll make a Spider-Man movie as good as that X-Men movie was. <laughs> yeah. It's not like it was fantastic, but it was at least good. Mm. And then you see the Spider-Man movie like, well shit, like, and here we go. And then the success of Spider-Man is what leads to where we are now with movies. Yeah. Cause everyone's like green light, everything green light, fucking everything. <laughs> well, also the Spider-Man films, had a romance subplot that many people say also brought in yeah. a lot more women than it would have before mm-hmm. and leading to you know even higher sales which is also why every first marvel studios film and pretty much most superhero films like well now it's time for the romance subplot he has to kiss this girl at some point like does he though i mean you don't have to tell that story with every superhero yeah. movie and but I mean that upside down kiss turned the world on fire at that yeah. time. But won uh, the best kiss I think at the it did MTV win the best movie awards. Yes, and uh, Kirsten Dunst threw shade at uh, Daredevil because Daredevil was nominated next to it, and where it also had a kiss in the rain between the leads. And she's like, they ripped off our kiss, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. uh, and then you know, 2004 was Spider Man Two, also so great. It's my favorite of the trilogy. I think mm-hmm. Doc Ock is a better. Yeah. He, Doc Ock is pulled off way better. And and that train fight, man, oh yeah. man, so good. Uh, and then Spider Man Three happened, but uh, it's, it's, it was not good. Real big mess of a film. Then Sony to retain the copyright rebooted Spider Man in 2012. With the Andrew Garfield, Emma Stone, Amazing Spider Man was all right. Mm. Amazing Spider Man Two happened, way less all right. Even though it had the best on camera costume I'd ever seen, a Spidey. And then it got rebooted again because they made a deal with between Marvel Studios and Sony to bring Spider-Man back into the Marvel Cinematic Universe. After I think it was after Sony got publicly guilted from those leaked emails. Like, (laughs) you guys were offered it and you said, no, what? (laughs) And so now Spider-Man is back where he belongs on the big screen, finally getting to hang out with all his Avengers buddies. And at least from his 15 minutes or whatever he was in of Civil War, I really like Tom Holland's Spider-Man. Yep. really like his costume. And it's the funniest Spider-Man's ever been in a movie. Like yeah. it's the, the, Not to say, like, they gave Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield funny things to say, and they were kind of a smart mouth. But this felt like writers actually said, we're writing a character to make people laugh. Yep. Spider-Man should do these things. Well, and his movements and oh, his, ener- his his positive energy, just like, it felt like, in the way that, Deadpool was, always, was already kind of a riff on Spider-Man <laughs> to begin with. Uh-huh. The character was, where he just didn't shut up, and villains all along would remark on, like, why does Spider-Man talk all the time? It's really annoying, mm-hmm. and that's the point, is to be disarming and, and confuse villains, and like, Cap doesn't talk, and Iron Man doesn't tell jokes, and Thor doesn't like 
spin around in circles and do weird shit. Like, what is this guy's problem? He doesn't even have a fighting style. That's the other fun <laughs> thing about Spider-Man is when people would talk about him in the world, they would be like, yeah, nobody can fight him very well because like, he, it's not like he knows judo or knows karate or knows this. It's just this fucking weird thing that he's just bouncing off the walls. Yeah, that's... Yeah. I've heard and that. that's what Civil War felt like. It was mm-hmm. like, this feels like Spider-Man fighting yeah, and I, annoying the piss out of everybody. And I've heard that from actors or, or even people who just play him like in just in costume and like mascot events of like... Yeah. If you see Spider-Man just walking normally, yeah. Yeah. it kind you feel weird. Yeah. He has to like kind of even if he's not literally crawling on the ground, like he has to be kind of hunched over and yeah. and moving his hands around. Like he's that's that is Spider-Man. He's yeah. the body movement is a huge yeah. part of it. Um, it seems like a testament to how popular Spider-Man is. Maybe you guys you know no you guys do know more about it since you read it but like like the eight years of that like the marvel cinematic universe was around before they introduced spider-man mm-hmm. like uh the fantastic four and like other like heroes that got like downshifted like x-men they don't include new mutants they don't introduce new mutants anymore yeah, yeah, yeah. it didn't really seem like they ha- they hamstrung spider-man at all yeah i i think they definitely they punished the fantastic four the most because they're the least popular of the yeah. trio of groups X-Men have been definitely downvoted. Why am I using Reddit speak? But yeah, the the X-Men are definitely not as important as they used to be in Marvel. But even when they didn't have the rights to Spider-Man, they're like, but he's Spider-Man. Like, there's no replacing him as the mascot of Marvel. I think there's also a layer of their their deal with Sony was not as bad as their uh, deal with Fox. The deal with Fox is worse. Like, I think they don't even get, like, licensing. Like, they don't even get toy money or whatever. Yeah, like, with Spider-Man, it's a little bit more of a, like, give and take with the money that Mm -hmm. exchanges hands. So they're more likely to play ball. And also, yeah, it's like you are not going to not make Spider-Man stuff. And Sony, yeah, Sony does seem more willing to play ball with Spidey and that... I think in in their opinion for Marvel, that's even why like they're not getting a, reportedly they're not getting a cut of the um, of the Spider Man film Sony is making that they set up. It's worth it to them just to have like if Spider Man's popular, we'll sell a billion dollars of Spider Man toys, so we kind of don't need you. Like yeah. we don't need to make a billion dollars for the movie. Yeah. We'll make a billion from the Spider Man toys. Yeah. Uh, but all right, so that. Is Spider Man? I that one went long, but hey, there's so much to <laughs> say about gonna... Spider Man. He is worth it. I mean, I could have gone for two hours about Spidey. <laughs> you don't know how much I cut off uh, out of this one. <laughs> and that is a Spider Man superhero spotlight. Select your hero. All right, so uh, that was fun. So let's take a break. When we come back. We're going to have uh, the normal stuff, the biggest news, what we've been reading, and then follow that up with the community segment. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you in a second. I hope you guys enjoyed all that and welcome back. I had to, if I didn't talk about Spider Man, who would, right? Oh, God. 
that. Sorry, that, sorry, I blinked. What were we talking? About? Uh, all that Spider-Man. Yeah, I know. I <laughs> I try to make the superhero spotlights twenty minutes, but I indulge myself well, the on problem this special is, episode. Yeah, the problem is I can go probably just as long, mm. so I just am purpose- purposely being quiet because yeah. I'm like. And then the next issue, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could have gone want, like yeah. every ten issues and yeah. talked about it. In this you want ten, to talk about Round Robin. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I know I skipped all over Mark Bagley. You know, yeah, it's the open whole, the whole Mark Bagley era. Of let's Spider-Man. open it back up. The Mark Bagley era. Is here. Here. No, I can't. Let's close that super. Close it. Yep. No, all right, there an eight-year-old gag that's still good. <laughs> that's uh, still one of my favorite Tuck Radar things. Because mm-hmm. Chris would always play the the game deals. The Donald. Oh yeah, yeah. Take my <laughs> advice. Do as I say. And, like, Michael, like, remembered some deal in the third segment. And he, he, Michael was, like, I mean, we're also super drunk at that point. And he's just like, you fucking open game deals back up. And he's like, no, I can't. Like, we're out, like and you, you made the rule of our ta- of our podcast canon that if you have a segment and you, play that, fucking, and you play that jingle, you have to close it. Uh, anyway. uh, I love that. You know, by the way, I forgot to mention in the pre-opening babble, but the uh, – February 27th, 2012 was the first episode of Cape. I, those four years of just that went by so fast to me. They feel like yeah, that. And I believe I started it out of uh, anger <laughs> because uh, yeah. a podcast I was doing at my old website oh. got canceled and oh. it made me so furious. But what a great last episode. That was a great last episode. I still episode. listen to it like Well, you got to, Yeah, I know. You, you were there what in a just treat. like, I don't give a fuck <laughs> mode. Michael's and, dad's origin. Dude, that was Michael's dad. <laughs> like, all that shit. And then yeah. the, the Vita boat trip, I think, was <laughs> yeah. like. Well, that's why this is, uh, that's why also this is number 200 because I, could not stand uh, this ending before 200 after the last one ending at 200. Will, was Laser Time the first one, I guess? It was the first one. Uh, yeah, we, we actually oh, got yeah. to do a 200. Talking we also, lasers. Well, yeah. First there was lasers. 200 talking lasers. And then last year there was literally yeah, the 200th 200 episode. episode. And so that's the first. And then uh, hopefully VGA will be able to make it past 200 and and, and live healthily mm-hmm. afterwards. Yeah. Like that's the, that's the next one that's approaching 200. Uh, but anyway, yeah, let's get into the news here. Uh, boy, this feels almost feels like, why are we even doing news? It's the last episode. <laughs> but uh, the Insomniac game, we talked all about that. That looked really awesome. Yeah. It was at E3. We did a trailer analysis on YouTube.com slash LazerTime Network. Mm-hmm. Please watch it. It's the only monetized video we put up at E3. <laughs> Everything else was flagged. Yeah. We so, need your nickels. Oh, this thing got 14,000 views, and it all no money can be made yeah. out of it, and... 90% of the comments are telling us how we suck. I'm just like, well, why'd you fucking watch it? Like, yeah. watch the stream then. Don't watch people talking over a stream if you hate. I'm pretty we, sure I even talked about this on every podcast. I feel like I even yeah. prefaced it with, like, don't listen to me. Yeah. Like, my opinions are not good on games anymore. Mm. So, like, I, I only play Souls games and Monster Hunter. Like, what what do you want to hear from me? Like, But, yeah, Brett and I found eight minutes of conversation to say about that one-minute-long teaser. Uh, But uh, the gist of it is that Insomniac, the makers of Ratchet & Clank, Resistance, Sunset Overdrive, most importantly for this, they are making a Spider-Man game. First Spider-Man game we've seen in a couple years since the Amazing Spider-Man 2 uh, movie game from 2014, which was not great. Uh, But... um, and so Activision doesn't have the rights anymore. Sony does. This is an exclusive thing. So you better sign up for you better own a PS4 if you want to play this game. And looked beautiful. And like the costume, some people aren't the biggest fan of the big white spider yeah, emblem on it. I'm but fine. 
It's to make it specifically theirs because yeah. it's not okay. it's not directly from the comic books they say, and it's not directly from, it's not the movies either. Yeah. I'm also just such a costume mark mm-hmm. as you might mix my uh, mm-hmm. mix our metaphors here, but like I just love costumes like Garrett yeah. garish colors costumes flamboyance i love all that shit which is why i like comic books at an early age mm. and superheroes in general and so anytime there's a new costume i'm always like it has to be pretty damn awful mm. and betray the character in some way like daredevil's 90s costume is like what the fuck are all you the doing? metal plating and the shit, metal yeah. plating it's like he no absolutely not this doesn't mm. make any sense but costumes for costume's sake I'm like yeah go for it mm-hmm. fine who cares and I think some people I've got 900 other games to play with a regular Spider-Man costume <laughs> and some people brought up like from a copyright concern they're just like well sure. now they get they have their own specific sure. Spider-Man Great. and also in this century I don't think there's ever been a Spider-Man video game where he only had one costume no. so <laughs> w- just wait for a costume Unlockables. They they Fuck, have. I hope they have nothing but like six other costumes that they made. Yeah, I don't even want a regular black costume in it. Just give me a bunch yeah. of weird, fun costumes. What yeah. I would love mm-hmm. is if there's a splash page when Ben Riley is trying to decide what his costume oh, will yeah. be, and uh, it's just a splash page of all these just artists. Attempt, yeah, it was like the artist attempts to design the new costume yeah. he'll be wearing, and it's Peter. Was it? I guess it's Ben Riley. It's and, Riley, and yeah. he's trying to think like what his costume will be, and it's like here's one where he looks basically like Cable or Cyclops yes, with a lot of yeah. pouches and ridiculous shit, and then there's one that's a, I don't know, and it's just him like imagining what could I do, and it's mm. just an excuse to draw like a bunch of Spider-Man costumes that are all like absolutely never do this, yeah. But to see him there, it's like yeah, put all those in a game. Well, yeah. and also like he's Spidey from the neck up, always like yeah. you don't. You're not going to give him a half mask that reveals his chin or something. Like it's always, it's always a full face mask, and then neck down they they play around with it. As a bag, though, isn't it? Huh? Isn't it a bag sometimes? Uh, yeah, he was the Fantastic Bag Man in Amazing Spider-Man 258 when he gave a symbiote suit to the Fantastic Four, and he had to borrow an old costume and then wear a bag over his head to protect his secret identity. The bag doesn't fall off his head because seems like that one's in every game at least. Spider-Man has sticky face skin, so he can hold Uh that thing to his body. Which that was something Dan Slott uh, was the one who alerted me to that idea too, because in Brian Michael Bendis is actually a very very good Spider-Man writer, but if there's one if there's one sin he has, he unmasks Spider-Man all the fucking time, and that's fine for Ultimate Spider-Man, but that was even happening with current day Spider-Man, and so when Dan Slott took over, he's like. No, nobody can rip his mask off his face because he has a sticky face. Like so, <laughs> if he doesn't want the mask to be taken off, it's not going to be. You'd have to be stronger than Spider-Man. Yeah, or right. you'd have to like chop it into pieces or something. Yeah. Like it's, it can't just fall off his face. But yeah. anyway, news. <laughs> also in the news, Telltale Games showed off at E3. They're debuting Batman game they're doing for the summer. Say it's out in the summer. Won't get more specific than that. And there's uh, no footage yet, right? I don't believe there's been video footage of it yet. People are getting to play it at uh, co- at E3. The kind of funny games guys even showed this amazing video of a Telltale's you know booth ish thing. It uh, you have just a normal meeting in what seems to be Wayne Manor, and then you open up behind the clock uh, behind the grandfather clock. And it's the Batcave, or it's a miniature version of the Batcave with a Bat computer at the center where they, I am assuming, are playing the game. And it's it's an amazing, like, 
Telltale still doesn't have a giant booth, nor do they need it. Like they're not big enough to spend a million dollars on an E3. They have more than one thing at E3, really. Exactly. Yeah, this year it is, it is an exception. This, yeah, because they also had Walking Dead season three. Yeah, and Dave, you, I, I didn't finish season two, but are you excited for season? Yeah, three? Yeah, I mean, it seems like they fast forward a few years. Uh, mm-hmm. Clementine looks like she's like in her like mid, maybe to late teens, mm-hmm. which it, which is good because the one thing that was weird about season two. Like, even though she is a survivor, it's, like, so many parts in Season 2 are, like, the group that Clementine's with. Like, well, what do you want to do, Clementine? You're She's, like, 11 years old. Well, because, in a, you, I mean, like, well, because in a Telltale game, you look to the yes. player, and the player makes the decision. But That's, it's, yeah, it gets a little bit... But when it's an 11-year-old... Yeah, like... And it makes sense, like, when a, a character shows up later in the season that used to know her, and, like, this that guy keeps saying, like, yeah, well, it's Clementine. She's a survivor. She has great instincts. Let's do what she says. Mm-hmm. Like, but, yeah, but for a while, it's like, why are you listening to her? <laughs> it makes no sense. This is a child, and this is literally life or death every decision you make. So yeah. maybe I, I wouldn't think most people would give up a decision to her. Apparently, both Batman and uh, Walking Dead are on a, a new Telltale engine, which they sorely needed for a long sorely time. Sorely needed. And I know that uh, Troy Baker is playing Batman, uh, so he played the Joker to good effect in Arkham Origins. Now has become Batman. Troy Blake Baker is every character. And uh, ben, Brian Michael Bendis is becoming quite a television producer on top of his comic book work. So first, uh, within the same year, I believe it was, Powers debuted as its own <laughs> series on Sony. And his creation with Michael Gatos of Jessica Jones became, an own, became its own Netflix series. And now... His series Scarlet with Alex Maleev is going to become its own series on uh, Cinemax. Oh, whoa. Which is, it honestly is like, it's a daring show if it's just like the comics because it is about an, a lovely redhead lady who's just an alternative uh, independent type kid living in Portland. Oh, I read this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The first In the first volume, it starts with her uh, living in Portland and then her boyfriend is killed by a crooked cop. She then starts killing cops, like yeah. as as revenge, and that leads to her becoming almost the basically the leader of her own revolution in America. Yeah. And it's, I mean, that's ooh, boy, that is a really edgy thing to be doing now. But uh, Cinemax getting they're no they're no longer softcore porn anymore at <laughs> Cinemax. Uh, and lastly, J. Michael Straczynski, who we were just talking about uh, negatively Bab- in the Spider Man Five, Babylon Five fame, uh, he is. One of my favorite of his independently owned series, Rising Stars, is finally getting its own film. Like, this is eight million years overdue, but it's been optioned for a film. Rising Stars, it takes place in a world where there's like a hundred superheroes. They're all from the same hometown, thanks to an uh, alien ship that like come crashes over the town. And it gives any baby in utero superpowers, but different superpowers. And so it's this whole generation mm-hmm. of superheroes who are living in the real world and it's this reflection of the real world against them and how it the government like treats su- them. Like sounds like Supreme Power again. Mm-hmm. He pretty much repeated it in uh, Supreme Power. Like when he he created Rising Stars and then when they're like, "Hey, JMS, you should write a write something with Squadron Supreme." Kind of just retread a lot of his yeah. topics from Rising huh. Stars. Rising Stars has no good ending, but then again, J. Michael Straczynski is really not good at He's endings. Not good at that. But the first 12, 12 to fifteen ish issues, really good. It's a really good series. 
has some very interesting twists and turns. I think it'd actually be better as a TV show, but uh, we'll see see how it works as a movie. I don't know if you guys read that. There was that news that... Um, Did you guys hear about this? Mm-hmm. Well, this wasn't like news, but it was a general feeling that sequels are in trouble. And what are people doing with sequels? Because every, other than Civil War, every big sequel this year has underperformed in the movies what they wanted them to do. Like their Batman versus Superman, they thought would get a billion dollars. that did not... X-Men Apocalypse has made less money than Days of Future Past. Mm. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles has made less money than the previous Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And they're thinking like, wait, I thought we could bet on, make easy bets on, on sequels and stuff. What are we going to do now? And uh, I get the feeling that uh, uh, Rogue One is probably going to have that same fan. But that's, uh, yeah. a, that's a spin-off but, kind of too. But you can't expect that to yeah. be... I mean, good. Rogue One can't make $5 billion. Yeah, like, yeah. you can't... Yeah. Well, won't, that's not what Force Awakens did either, but... Yeah. Uh, oh, so let's talk about what we've been reading briefly. Uh, I read a big old spate of comics today. I read on the DC side, read Superman number one and Batman number one. Both really interesting, uh, you know, new rebootings of the mm. ba- of the DC Rebirth storyline. And the Superman number one was my favorite of the two because it introduced the idea of how Superman is now a father and he is trying to raise a son. And so he's seeing what it's like to raise a superpowered son and teach him like, no, 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 you don't use your heat vision. Like you're a deadly weapon. You have to be very responsible. And his son doesn't realize it. And there's some, it's actually pretty, several dark moments in it, including this moment where he starts the book in awe of his father. Like my father's Superman. He's the greatest. And at the end, he's like terrified of his father. And he sees his father talking, talking outside to this weird guy in a bat costume <laughs> and this jo- and this huge Amazon Amazonian. He's like, he's scared. He's scared of his dad. And it's a really, I, I like the journey in just that one issue for the character. Hmm. And uh, the Batman number one was pretty good too. Uh, it introduces a thing of that Batman never has to deal with. They get Batman has a Superman sized problem of a plane is about to crash into Gotham. Superman and a flying, a superhero with powers would know what to do here. What's Batman going to do? And you get to see what Batman would do then. Uh, in the Marvel side of things, I read Amazing Spider-Man 14, a fun continuation of Spider-Man's team-up with Iron Man, uh, fighting the Regent, who was um, the villain of the What If Spider-Man Had a Kid Secret Wars storyline. So it's been a, a fun thing where he's kidnapped all the Avengers, though it makes me think, like, well, this will go on for one more issue maybe because they're in their own comics. They can't stay kidnapped by this guy and then i read hellcat number seven which a uh, fun new start of a storyline read it i i love hellcat it's such a great book kate leth Brittany williams it's a really fun book and this one introduces they did it in the jessica jones tv show of having trish aka patricia walker aka hellcat she is best friends with jessica jones on the netflix series but they never had a relationship in the comics now in the comics Jessica Jones and Hellcat are teaming up and starting a brand new friendship. And it's it's a really fun little book. Uh, and then I read Jughead number seven, which is just Jughead and Archie go on vacation. It's just <laughs> it's just fun, silly times outside with spy with outside with Jughead. Isn't Jughead's whole life a vacation. Uh, no, man. He <laughs> Mr. Beasley's always making him do homework and sending him to detention. And then when he wants to, you know, eat a nice hamburger at the chocolate shop, old Pops is telling him he owes him money. 
Uh, it's hard being Jughead. What are you talking about? <laughs> but anyway, it's a funny book. Chip Zdarsky wrote it still. It's one of his last issues. He'll be replaced soon by the, the writer on Squirrel Girl, which a great uh. another writer to take on to the Jughead series. So yeah, that's all I read this week. Did you guys read anything? I did not. No. We've been very busy with E3, yeah. so do not blame these guys for not reading anything. But, uh, well, gee, guys, you know what? Why don't we get slightly retrospective here? Mm-hmm. Je- I, I'm springing this on you now, but in the time doing Cape Crisis, is there any like one comic you remember reading and talking about on the show that you still love to this day or that you... I, I guess, you know, Dave did all those Dave homework, so I'm curious, yeah, like, what is geez. one of your favorites of that? Oh, man, can you come back to me? Okay. I, I gotta think about it. I can't remember. It must have been during this show, but for, uh, for some reason, Fatal, maybe? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, Fatale. I started it, and I really liked it, and I bought the second one digitally, and it's one of those things that sat on my iPad, and I wish I would just read the rest of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's a finite story. Like, is this 30-ish issues, 13-ish? Yeah, like, I want to finish that. I, but I remember reading that first trade and being like, wow, this was really good. And then I can't remember if... I think Criminal and all that stuff was before we even started the show, probably. Yeah, that was before. But yeah. no, I think, um, you know, you'll hear on this podcast, in a very old episode, you might have heard, like, Anne tells me to read Saga and how oh, good... Like, yeah. I didn't read the first couple issues of Saga... And I, that was a great one to get into. Yeah. And I mean, that is the that is the one I tell everybody, like, if you never read any comics, just read this one. It's especially good for, like, geeks getting older. Like, I definitely happily suggested it to our friends who have children who are mm-hmm. having, like, yeah, you're married with kids and it feels like an adventure every day, huh? <laughs> and, uh, but, but especially that it gives, like, a real life to the mother in that book. Like, it's yeah. it's not just about the father. It's about the mom being, like, this sucks. I'd like to do drugs. Like I miss recreational <laughs> drugs at some point. I like that with her. Yeah. I like that. Um, so wait, I, I figured it out. Okay. Uh, well, it, it would probably be a tie between Unbeatable Squirrel Girl uh-huh. and uh, the humans. Yeah, you well, love yeah. the humans, and both in, involve animal type humans. Are you a furry nowadays? Yeah, that's, that's it. It's awoken something in you. Yeah, that's why I, I'm not into Walking Dead as much because there's no <laughs> furries. Nobody so. wears fur. No, yeah, I do love the I I love both those series too. Squirrel Girl had become one of my favorites. I think just you know, r- definitely one of my favorites in this time was when Marvel warmed up to specifically Chip Zdarsky, Kate Leth, and Ryan North, and uh, and then also their supporting artist Erica Henderson, Joe Quinos, and Brittany Williams. Those three books: Howard the Duck, Unbeatable Squirrel yeah. Girl, aka Hellcat. Those are just such a great little corner of Marvel. And they all, you can tell all the writers are friends because their characters keep appearing in each other's books, but they don't cross over much with other books. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a lot of fun. I That's been my favorite thing, I think, in the last few years on the show. Oh, and like super old, but the Swamp Thing. Like, oh, yeah, the Swamp Thing. Oh, yeah. fucking Animal Man. That's definitely oh, yeah. one. Like, that's something I read since the show started and mm-hmm. was like, this was all excellent. Yeah, oh, good times. All right, why don't we take a break? When we come back, we're going to talk about your questions for me in the Ask Hank, the answers to last week's question of the week, and other community stuff when we return. Welcome back, everybody, to this uh, oh, momentous episode yeah. of Cape Crisis final segment. The final episode? Uh, question mark, question mark? mark? Hey, it's ne- as they say in comics, it's yeah. never the end, man. 
Uh, but so let's get into the Ask Hank from last week, what people were asking me in the comments. Uh, and first off, we got um, a tough one from Pilot asks, what image or Valiant comics from the 90s era would you recommend? And uh, as we talked about last week, I don't know, I really overlooked Valiant at the time. I was not reading pretty much any Valiant, so can't say there. When it comes to the 90s image books, like they're they're famously like not well written because artists mainly left and then became their own writers and they weren't ready for it. But, uh, and then the bombastic, the amazing art isn't so amazing these days. Like you can see, you can kind of see the cliches of the time. Uh, But that said, I do think there are some really good classic spawn stories, especially when he did like a series, I think it was six issues in a row where like Frank Miller wrote an issue, Mm. Alan Moore wrote an issue, Neil Gaiman, Mm. Dave Sims, they all wrote these issues in a row. And it was there, these writers' kinds of way of also giving a big F you to Marvel and DC by working with Image. Yeah. So those were, uh, that's, I believe, like issues, it begins with issue seven of Spawn. Mm-hmm. Those are a fun little side thing where Todd is still drawing them. But, yeah, I uh, feel like, yeah, you could read the first 20 issues of Spawn, maybe, mm-hmm. and there's enough there to go, like, I could see why this was big then. Yeah, I mean, you still might roll your eyes at, like, every yeah, other page. Will. But uh, that's how I felt, too, when I read Savage Dragon. When Ooh, I reread boy. issue one of Savage Dragon, like, there's the the big fight in the first issue is just blood everywhere, and it was it was clearly Eric Larson, like, letting out his, letting out his stuff he couldn't do in Marvel. Like, yeah. he was just enjoying the freedom. But there's basically a fight where Savage Dragon fights a rat man and then saws with chainsaws. Like mm-hmm. they have him and this rat guy like slashing each other up blood everywhere, and then he, he and then he hacks the rat guy to pieces with a chainsaw. And then Savage Gra- Dragon got his own cartoon. Yes, in, in, on USA Network for children, and then started his own band, Savage Garden. <laughs> and we all loved him. We loved him even more then. I would say in the mid '90s too, Alan Moore did some cool stuff with Liefeld's Extreme Books publication. With Supreme, it was a good run, and then most people have never read it because they saw, the, oh, this is the name of Rob Liefeld books. These must be unreadable. <laughs> but Alan Moore kind of went there just to be like, F everybody. I'll, I'll make a great story with these. <laughs> th- well, I've got the challenge of the worst characters in comics. I'll make great stories with them. It's, uh, Sonic Chronicles Dark Brotherhood. <laughs> Same funny. deal. Like, exactly. Wow. You're going to hear dialogue from Big the Cat, and you'll care. <laughs> <laughs> Ravenbaum asked, how much or often do you browse the pages of a comic before you read up? Read it. In the follow-up, do you stop at the three-page digital preview on Comixology, or do you swipe through the pages once it's on your iPad before you really sit down and read it? And lastly, how often has it spoiled things for you, or are all the real spoilers already out there for your favorite comic? So, from the start, when I was a kid, and they were in the pre-digital comics time, not even as a kid, but before digital comics... If it was a book I had heard good things about, but I had not been reading, I would flip through it on the racks. I'd take it off the rack like, ah, flip through it. Okay, this looks interesting. It's usually like, if I hear the writing is good, I just want to make sure I'm okay with the art. Like, not even in love with the art. Just like, yeah, the art's all right. And I'll move on. But otherwise, I would not really flip through books. If it was a, if it was just the new Spider-Man, it would be behind the counter with my pull list anyway. Yeah. And I'd just buy it. Uh, and then, yeah, I don't go much farther beyond the three the three pages of stuff and I don't do a little flip through the iPad when I download like Comixology or whatever yeah. like I bought this because I knew I wanted it so I'm not going to flip through and spoil things but then yeah when it comes to spoilers if it's a giant thing like 
it's in the news. Like you can't, I, if it's that big of a thing, like the Captain America Hydra thing or a character dying, Marvel will spoil it for themselves anyway. And if they didn't, then everybody just tweets about it in the morning regardless. So spoilers with comics, it's, it's a bummer. But if you're re, if you're that into and plugged in with comics, you can't avoid them, you know? So I just kind of eventually learned to shrug my shoulders and just be like, eh, okay, it, the importance is a good story that can stand the test of time, not just the immediate shock value. Mm-hmm. Roran asks, if you have the opportunity to write a, write a superhero's book or direct a superhero movie, which character would it be? And uh, obviously Spider-Man, though I do feel like I've read every Spider-Man comic, and so mm-hmm. I, I would fear that that would yeah. restrict my ability to think of a new story, because yeah. like, but everything's been done with Spider-Man, hasn't it? And that's not true. There's always new stuff to do with him, but I mean, that is kind of why he's become a billion, a tech billionaire, because those stories don't exist. You gotta give him that. Yeah. Um, but then, of course, for movies, like, I would want to make the Fantastic Four work. Like, mm. I maybe they never can work, and I don't know how to make that movie. But at the very least, I'd want to make the thing a superstar, yeah. a, a, an idol of millions. Or if I were to go with DC, I'd go with the Manhunter series from the mid two thousands. I really enjoyed that series mm. too. Do you yeah. guys have any of yourself? I, you? I mean, I've always like dabbled with this idea. Like, I have an idea for an Ultron story. Mm. Uh, that's just Ultron and then <laughs> trying to figure out what happens like there was a point where I was even trying to like oh if this was four issues that seems about enough mm-hmm. to get this story across and here's like the high points and the low points the beats of the story but if I could write a character like that it would be Ultron and mm. then I also like the idea I just like the, always like the idea of characters meeting yeah. and the idea I, I was reading something I think I was reading Silver Surfer and he was fighting Mephisto and Mephisto was talking about like oh you're blah blah blah, blah. and I thought about how fun it might be for Loki and Mephisto to in- encounter each <laughs> other because yeah, yeah. someone who tricks someone pretty much just for the joy of tricking mm. and then the other one tricking trying to gain power <laughs> and leverage whereas Mephisto is like I'm already powerful I rule a dimension Yeah, I, like, got I, I don't trick people to like gain something from them it's like I just like fucking with people <laughs> and then here's someone who like they do the same thing, but for different reasons, and mm-hmm. I think like that might be fun to watch them like riff on each other. Yeah, you know. I like that. This is not even comics at all, but just on how much I loved it as a kid, and it is not even on my radar anymore. Uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks. Oh wow! Just the, yeah, like Brett. I know you've talked about how uh, you're just taking stain on your soul that the Chipmunks. I just love. Yeah, and it's so weird that I just I have no compunction at all to go see those movies Don't. or it, like it's they, as a kid it was like yeah this is how i like got introduced to music mm-hmm. and i like i those characters were great i those guess slump- it can be that for kids today still yeah. like it's yeah just, i'm sure like i mean the animated series we watched as kids were not great no yeah. not at all no but it's just like it was not those movies were not meant for me but i was i had to see them and <laughs> that's fine but you know when it's chipmunks versions of songs that came out when i was over 30 already yeah. mm-hmm. it's like and man yeah anyway <laughs> and lastly gene simmons toyota a great friend of the show Thank you all, all of you listeners, all of you guys who've helped me out, uh, who have been like Gene Simmons, Toyota, Eric out there, Matt, that's too, too many to name. Thank you. You guys have, you know, you've given me your codes for Marvel books. You've given me free comic books. You've, you've told me, uh, Casey, Casey too, like 
all these people have really helped make this show uh, easier for me to do by giving me books that just for free without even me asking for it. I I really appreciate that. Net, uh, you, you know, I'm sorry if I forgot anybody. I'm just saying this off the top of my head, but but thank you to all you guys. Um, so Gene Simmons Toyota, they asked in the aftermath. <laughs> In the aftermath of a personal or national tragedy, are there any comics you can read as comfort or escape or to be inspired? Um, and so, boy, you know, yeah, I, uh, I've i kind of shaken off the, the total sorrow I was feeling over the last few days over the Orlando shootings over the weekend. Like, that was just impossibly horrible. But, you know, in cases like that... Uh, I do like reading the silly. I did like over the weekend turn some to the silly books like Archie, uh, Archie Jughead, Squirrel Girl, the fun books, the ones that aren't about like, I'm not saying I, I like books like Civil War. I like the ones I like grim and gritty books, too, and I definitely love them more. But I do think like that maybe is another reason I didn't like Batman versus Superman. The world outside is just so just seems so horrible anyway yeah. to then have us like oh but what if superman was in a world of compromises and <laughs> darkness and all that like it's not always fun to read you yeah. want to see someone overcome that stuff instead yeah. and then also you know sometimes i'll dig up old spider-man books i read when i was a kid just to kind of get me in a more innocent mindset too yeah. just like oh yeah i remember being on the playground discovering spider-man this was my first spider-man comic mm. how how beautiful that was and then like carnage chops up a guy with <laughs> accents i'm like well, i guess it wasn't so innocent back then either. <laughs> uh but yeah that's usually that's those can be usually my comic book comfort food mm. do you guys have any uh again it's it's not comics but i, was, <laughs> I mean like every when i think of 9-11 like I, <laughs> I i distinctly remember like watching the news all day and it's just becoming numb and mm-hmm. I needed something to take my mind off it and it's weird that it was still a violent video game but like <laughs> playing Resident Evil Code Veronica mm. uh, wow. and like just this week like and again and again, it's weird because you know there's this big tragedy that occurred because a guy had access to these high powered guns and I played this game that I've been playing basically the whole like this like the whole uh, spring and summer called Enter the Gungeon. <laughs> the word's gun. It, the word gun is it's in the all title. guns. It's, it's about collecting guns, but it's so fantastical. It's like you're shooting bullets that are animated. It's <laughs> it's like cartoony, but it's just like I need to take my mind off it, and that's what I played. Huh, that's so funny. Yeah. I don't know. I don't really have escape things. Mm. I, like maybe I do, and I'm not. I don't realize that that's what I'm doing. Mm. Um, I mean, sometimes I'm not aware of it until afterwards. I'm like, yeah. oh, I've, I've listened to this uh, album on repeat for, for yeah. two hours, probably because I was sad. Yeah. No, I don't know. I just like I don't know. I, mm. I, I do. It's not really related, but. I do read like Infinity Gauntlet once every couple years, mm. and that to me is like a comfort thing. It's like I know every panel, I know every word, but it's like every couple years I really want to go through it again and like mm-hmm. just because I again that was kind of my gateway into Marvel Universe. I'd read Spider Man stuff up to that point, but the mm. idea of this whole big universe where all this crazy shit can happen was as Infinity Gauntlet was unfolding. So I don't know. That's something I go back to for for a comfort feeling, but. Mm. Like yeah, yeah no, I totally I like rereading that too. Just like even though it is a life or death, like uh, bad, lots of bad stuff happens, I, and it's not an it's not a comfortable comic. But no, not at all. Uh, but I, I guess I guess some related. Sometimes there are like when I feel down, I, I feel I do get this. Uh, sometimes you just want to buy something, 
like the, mm. the retail yeah. therapy oh, yeah, thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. But uh, I will end up buying like a new trade of some old collection of uh, mm-hmm. comics I didn't ever read. So I end up with like old X-Men collections or old Silver Surfer things. Mm-hmm. Acts of Vengeance. Yeah, the Acts of Vengeance omnibus where it's like, uh, I don't know. this. Maybe I feel kind of down in that exact moment and I'll slowly read this. But like even Evolutionary War I bought all, like a year and a half ago. Because I had like a shitty day at New York Comic Con. And I'm just like, <laughs> I just want to go back to my room and fucking read this and not read anything on the internet and not talk <laughs> about games or comics to any human being. And I am still not finished it. Wow. It's just so... I mean, those omnibuses are pretty thick. It's it's not even as big as the Acts of Vengeance one. It's just like, it's so dense. Like, the, mm. the panels are so dense. Yeah, it was... That came at a time when every comic page, like... Yeah. I think, you know, we talk about Todd And McFarlane. they're all annuals, so they're yeah. all like... Oh, my just, God. Yeah. So they're all like 40 pages yeah. at least. I mean, we talked about the Todd McFarlane thing earlier, but that was, I think, a big change, too, where they... They had all these great artists, and they kind of had to then scale back the word balloons to yeah. make more space for the art people were buying yeah. it for. Instead of filling page after page with tons of dialogue, which mm. made comics quicker reads, yeah. but you know more enjoyable. But anyway, Gene Simmons Toyota, that is our reply to this. Uh, last week's question of the week, we asked, "What currently un, what currently out of print book do you wish would get recollected again?" And uh, Batman Boy Eleven says, while the most well-known part of Chris, while the most well-known part of Chris Claremont's X-Men run has been collected into individual volumes, the omnibus runs that collected in its entirety have mostly gone out of print, mm. even their newer editions. I've read the big milestones, but I'd really like to go through the entire thing from start to finish yeah. and delve into it all. Even the Marvel Masterworks can only be found digitally. Yeah. No, I mean, Marvel definitely has kind of dropped the ball. Well, not dropped the ball. They've chosen to lay the ball down yeah. when it comes to the X-Men stuff. That is, But I do value my uncanny X-Men, at least volumes one and two, that take you through the from the beginning of Claremont's run to the uh, Phoenix Saga. Yeah. Like it's and it's a great collection. Yeah, I have 1 through 5 and then I think number 6 I had to get on eBay. Oh, I wow. just I had no choice but to go look there. Kelshaw says I've heard of Anacenti. I've heard Anacenti did a great run on Daredevil where the fight was Daredevil dressed as Bullseye and vice versa. Yeah, the story isn't collected anywhere or easily found. It's not even on Marvel Unlimited or Comicsology, so I, that would be my choice. Hmm. John Wehizel says, in all caps, Mutant X! I oh, rem- I read all that. I remember getting the series and loving it as a kid, but Marvel has yet to publish any trades for it. Yeah. I'm really curious to see if it's still as good as I remember. I doubt it. Wait, mm-hmm. is that the one with Havoc in the alternate? Um, yes, that was Havoc in the alternate universe. Yeah, I read yeah. that. That is bizarrely this thing that it. it <laughs> That's so weird that you went into that one. Well, yeah. no, like a, a guy that where I, at, where I worked at the time, it was like he he you know was like 10 15 years older mm. and among other things is like oh yeah i have the issue where gwen stacy dies i'll bring it in tomorrow and then <laughs> wow. he just let me read it just like raw like here it is it's not in a bag it's not it's just like Damn. yeah i i'm not precious about these things people should read them like that's how i read the parallax <laughs> stuff with green lantern wow and then one day he just comes in he's like the whole stack of the entire run of mutant x he's like do you ever read these I'm like what is this <laughs> here you go and i read the whole thing over the yeah. course of like a month it was so weird, and it it's was really weird. I think it was just them saying like, "No one's doing anything with Havoc. Let's yeah. send him to another universe. They'll just have adventures with other versions of yeah. mutants." And like Storm is her name is Bloodstorm, and she's Ooh. a vampire. <laughs> oh my god, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I liked how silly it got. I did yeah. like that. Steve Bloodby said, 
the other Abnett and Lanning run on Legion of Superheroes, the Blight storyline, the Legion Lost and Legion Worlds mini, and Legion Ongoing. Legion continuity can be daunting for anyone looking to get into it with layers, so many layers and confusing reboots. Uh, the DNA run was stripped down, Legion lost, and gradually brought in more characters in history as the title rent went on. I've never read any Legion before, and this run made me a fan. Legion lost was collected as a hardcover a while back, and is definitely worth it if you can. Is definitely worth it on its own, but I'd love to get the rest collected as well. Uh, yeah, I read that was when I. One of the first times I ever liked the Legion was that book. I never cared for the Legion much, but they. Abnett and Lanning's run on Legion was kind of a tease of all the great stuff they do cosmically at Marvel. They do the yeah. Legion books, then they left DC and did the Annihilation. They were part of the Annihilation story and all the lead and all the cosmic stuff that followed from that at Marvel. Well, a lot of a lot of what they did with Guardians of the Galaxy is in the movie. Like yeah. you should thank Abnett and Lanning partially for that. And in that Legion Lost story, they introduced Darkseid in a way better than I'd ever seen before where Darkseid just shows up and he beats them standing still in a way that makes total sense where they're just like, hey, I'm Darkseid, I'm here now. And they're like, holy fuck, Darkseid! And the leader of the team, Cosmic Boy, is like, well, I'll just use my gravity on you. And and then he gets sucked in and he's like, he says something to the effect of Darkseid is so dense <laughs> that it's like me trying to ref- affect the gravity of a black hole. I can't even <laughs> touch him. And he's just like, Staring at them like, you bunch of teenagers thinking you do shit to me? I'm yeah. dark side. Yeah. Uh, Hitler, me, this Batman had an audio response. Hey, Cape Crisis, this is Matthew J, a.k.a. Hitler, me, this Batman, and J Button here answering the question of the week. Previously, my answer for an out-of-print comic that I wanted to be back in print was the Eltingville Club. But they just earlier this year put out this beautiful hardcover of the entire collection. Really good. Uh, including some really good bonus materials. So my new answer would be La Cosa Nostroid, which was what? a spin-off comic of Scud the Disposable Assassin, huh. which was written <sighs> by Rob Schraub and Dan Harmon. La Cosa Nostroid was all written by Dan Harmon and was about Whoa. this like alien mafia family and <laughs> crazy sci-fi adventures, but also mafia stories. I never read it because all the issues are expensive on eBay, but Scud is one of my favorite comics ever, so I just want more of that. Thanks, guys. Wow, that's amazing because I would have figured that would have been part of the complete scud. Like, they put out a massive, like, kind of like those affordable Walking Dead omnibuses yeah. that are like 48 issues mm. in a phone book size thing. <laughs> they did that for scud because, you know, Dan Harmon and Ra- Rob Schraub, but especially Dan Harmon, but especially Rob Schraub. <laughs> uh, they're more especially famous. <laughs> they're more famous than ever because, like, uh, you know, Dan Harmon did Community. He's working on Rick and Morty. Rob Schraub worked with him all those time. They both were just nerdos coming up uh, from, you know, the Midwest to move to L.A. thanks to the success of Scud. Rob Schraub is about to be the director or he is working on the second Lego movie. Like, he's the director on that. And so the, I I didn't know. I'd read all of Scud, and I love Scud. I loved Scud, and then, like, I love Dan Harmon, but I forgot that him that he worked on that. So then when it connected together for me, you know, ten years ago or something, I was like, "Holy fuck!" He did both those great things. So I I am shocked that that wasn't collected. And maybe someday, Super Giraffe said Alan Moore's Supreme, as I talked about earlier, when Alan Moore was doing a Rob Liefeld created character. I think there's a collection years ago, but it's out of print and supposed to be low quality. 
I want to read this send-up of Silver Age Superman, damn it. <laughs> so, yeah, that is what Al Moore did it to make Supreme interesting. That Supreme started as like a very blatant ripoff by Rob Liefeld of Superman. And then when Al Moore's on it, he's like, let's just make it even more obvious. I'm just going to write a parody of the Silver Age Superman comics I grew up with. Ravenbaum had a really good reply, but it was way too long, but about how awesome it would be to see the original Savage Sword of Conan books collected from the original, like, early 70s Marvel uh, prints. Watership Down Syndrome said, as far as I know, there hasn't been a collection of Death's Head 2 from Marvel UK label. In fact, I don't know if there's any of that stuff has ever been collected with names that nobody knows, like, and no, I'm not making up any of this, Die Cut, Motormouth, Kill Power, Miss Tech, Death Metal, and Genetics. Early 90s Marvel UK was a perfect example of everything that was that, that era was. Dumb, over the top, and as extreme yeah. as possible. But I did enjoy ju- but I did enjoy Death's Head quite a lot. I want to revisit that comic, but I'm afraid I may not be able to handle the dude bro silliness. I just love that there was Death's Head, and then in, like it was kind of like, who is this idiot? And then he's immediately killed by a newer, even crazier <laughs> right, looking yeah. character called Death's Head 2. I remember, yeah. <laughs> I See, I never read those comics because they were like, you know, 50 cents more than the other yeah. ones because they they did publish the Marvel UK books here, mm-hmm. but they like, even though I'm, I feel certain they were published here, they it was almost like they had an import fee on them yeah. of being more expensive than your average issue of Amazing mm-hmm. Spider-Man. Uh, they were never collected on DVD, but they were very comic booky when MTV did the cartoons, the Max and the Oh, Ed, yeah, yeah. I don't think they ever put those out on DVD, which uh, which I, I don't think so. I love, I love both of those so much. Though the Max was such like a trick. That like, was also yeah. a comic before, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. it was. I mean, the cartoon yeah. is pretty much just a motion comic yeah. of the comic, mm. like word for word, yeah. panel for panel. Jeez. And the trick of the show was that they'd have about eight seconds of CG but then they'd surround it with static footage. But then if you saw those eight seconds of CG, you're like, I'm seeing such cutting edge stuff. Look <laughs> at these computer graphics. And like, I, that's one of those weird time distortion things of like, I felt like we would wait forever to see a new episode of that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. like, how many were ever were there? Like four? I think there were like, yeah, 13 or something. <laughs> like, yeah. I just felt like every time it would, one, even be on, yeah. <laughs> was was MTV's oddities even on? And yeah. when it was, like, please be masked, please be masked, it's the head again. And I'm fine with the head. And then it's but... like, okay, now please be a mask I haven't seen. Please, be... nope, it's the same one. Yes. Like, yeah. It's like, fuck. I mean, this was like the era when they ha- when they like started Beavis and Butthead and only yeah. had like two episodes, and they replayed yeah. those for like four months before yeah. new ones. God, that yeah. drove me crazy. Yeah, like just tuning in every time. Like, all right, time for more wacky cartoons on on MTV. I'm such a grown up. I'm at twelve, and this is so <laughs> crazy. And then I was like, it's the same thing again, yeah. again, the same thing. <laughs> They could at least like do new music video reactions yeah. to to Beavis and Butthead at least. But uh, all right, so that's it, boy. Uh, this week's question of the week. I will make a forum page for it. You know, if you have a favorite Cape Crisis memory, or you know, you want to say thanks or to everybody else who's who's done this, and I want to thank everybody who has helped me on this. All the not you know, all the fans who listen, everybody who has told people to listen to the show. All the people who became subscribers, everybody who has, you know, helped me out with information or given me, you know, a code for your Marvel book or, or any of that stuff. And, you know, I'm, I'm sad that uh, Chris Antista can't be here, but I, I want to thank, you know, Brett, Dave, 
and uh, all the other guests who have been on the show too. But just all the all the time you guys have given to Cape Crisis really, really made it work. And it it wouldn't work without you guys. I mean, like Brett even hosted episodes while I was out, like mm. just to get one done in the in the pre Patreon era of, yeah. of Cape Crisis. And and I do especially want to thank Chris Antista because. It was he taught me how to edit my own podcast and upload it, taught me how to make art, taught me how to do all this stuff, how to host a podcast, all those things. He led me through it. He had been a constant help and companion on this stuff, and I, I really do want to thank Chris. And I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm never going to see him again. I'll see him next week. And I'll, I can thank him there too. But I just wanted to to put that out there as well. And again, I apologize. Sorry to take you guys all off guard with this. News of news of a hiatus, a potentially very long hiatus. But you know, in comics, you never say never, you never say die, you never. It's always to be continued. Nothing's ever the end in, in superhero comics, and I'd I'd like to think that for Cape as well. And and you know, who knows? Next week, I may even just do a final thing of just replying, just me replying to all your comments and 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 forum replies and all that to this but 200 episodes it's been really great i i i wish it it just doesn't feel like it's going to fit in my schedule now that's 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 been a problem for you that's that's a burden for you listeners and but you know it's been over four years of this it's been great like it it sometimes was easier than others but it's always been fun and and i appreciate all you guys listening too so why don't we do some quick plugs and then, and then call it a day there's uh, our Patreon, patreon.com slash laser time. Uh, please don't take your money away because <laughs> I'm not going to be yeah. around as much. But uh, yeah, we, we have bonus time, our weekly show where we, uh, we just scab about the week that was and we throw some uh, cool clips in there. And uh, I'm sure we'll have more about. Uh, I'll explain more on that bonus time, too. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I wanted yeah. you Cape Crisis listeners to be the first yeah. to know. Uh, and also, though, this week's Laser Time, we did all the, we talked about press conferences, yeah. did all that E3 stuff, which you can see, like, eight hours of video that, like, that's how, <laughs> like, I, I did all that video with you guys this week for, for E3, and you can find that all on YouTube.com slash Laser Time Network. And I'm still, you know, I, like, for one thing, I'm not leaving Talking Simpsons anytime soon. The newest episode just posted today, Radio Bart, about the Timmy O'Toole <laughs> thing. And you are a good digger. <laughs> Good digger, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that it's it's every episode of The Simpsons from the beginning. Give a listen, and uh, and Brett thirty twenty ten right? Uh, yeah, thirty twenty ten, which is our weekly look back at what happened. Uh, music, movies, TV, games, cl- and occasionally comic books. When big things like Batman vs Superman or, or Dark Knight Returns, Spider Man getting unmasked, yeah, and Civil War and stuff. This week, uh, man, this week I'm editing the show now, and we talk a lot about Ferris Bueller's Day Off, which recently nice. turned thirty years old. Ah, so, yes. uh as well as Cable Guy. I was trying to think, what, cable what, guy. what movie did we talk about? <laughs> the uh, Riddler himself. Riddler himself, the Cable Man. Um, but then also <laughs> on, on that same YouTube channel, we've gone through that whole first series of those Marvel cards from 1990. Yes. We've recorded them all now, so that's all wrapped up. I would like to one day do Series 2 if we could figure out how to record it because it, they are time-consuming to record. Mm. But to yeah to I'll take a day off like yeah. trying to find a way to make that work it'd still be worth doing but we'll probably take a break from those for mm-hmm. a little bit just to like let the ones that are there simmer for a bit but if you like hearing us go on and on and on about different heroes and battles and famous issues of comic books like check those there's a playlist you can just watch them all in a row yeah. it's like a video podcast yeah. of us just yeah. directed talking about 1990s yeah. 
uh, Marvel cards. Like yeah. it, it's a great fun all the way up to the end. I even love talking about oh god, actually those last cards, <laughs> the boy. very last video. Who knows what you'll <laughs> what'll happen with that? But hey, uh, so yeah, I hate saying goodbye. So let's just say to be continued. Might even just do one next week. That's just me replying to things, but. Uh, it's been 200, and I'm just going to remember it as 200 great episodes <laughs> of Cave Crisis. You know, it was 100 episodes ago that I came out on this, and oh, wow, that yeah. was that was a big thing. And I guess, you know, this does make another, like, big moment and another 100th episode. So you have to go back in for yeah. this Yeah, I'm back in the closet, guys. Okay. Don't cl- don't say I'm gay anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know. Plus now. <laughs> but, um, you know, I'm not, you know, actually, I'll finish with the Hank's Corner. I was going to record it separately, but I'm just going to do the Hank's Ooh, Corner here. A live Hank's Corner? My final Hank's Corner is one of my, is a book that really feels special to me right now, but also is one of my all-time favorite Spider-Man comics ever. And it is from the big-time storyline uh, in the mid-600s. It is No One Dies. It is a two-issue oh, yeah. Two-parter, written by Dan Slott, art by Marcus Marcos Martin, Mar Martin, uh, and it is just it is Spider-Man's guilt dealt with in an amazing dream sequence storyline, where Spider-Man is having to deal with all the people who have died in his life, all this tragedy, and then overcoming it, and then him also becoming the superhero I love him to be, which is he makes the proclamation of no one dies, and that includes the bad guys. Like he's not going to let the bad guy die. He's not going to let any other humans die. He's going to work his butt off to make sure no one dies as long as he's around. And it was, you know, this like peak version of what I love about Spider-Man that, you know, I've I complained on here. You've heard me complain for hours on end on this (laughs) podcast, literally, about how much I hate when Batman kills somebody, Superman kills somebody or when they just make, you know, a hero killing someone so easy and that in response to the, it felt like a response to that that Spider-Man is in a story about him bending over backwards doing his damnedest to make sure absolutely no one dies on his watch and that's always what I've loved about Spider-Man his non-lethal stuff like he'll get in slugfest as much as anybody else but he's he's not about making people suffer he's about having fun and helping people and even with the tragedy in Spider-Man's life in his history he always finds a reason to joke and have fun and continue on and no one dies is like a perfect just two issue encapsulation of that spirit of spider-man it's what i love about him it's such a great 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 recent story so i'm going to suggest reading that one really good so thank you guys again to be continued and as always excelsior
Don't know where, don't know where. 